Hey everyone, this is Connor. Before we get started, I just want to encourage you to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. If you become a patron, you'll get access to multiple exclusive episodes every month. And you can also join our patrons-only Discord chat, where Pete and I talk informally with the Podside Picnic community. So if you like the show, go ahead and check us out at patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. Thanks. Welcome back to Podside Picnic. I'm here once again with uh, the Boromir to my Faramir, that being Pete. <laughs> <laughs> and we are still in Dune Month. I think we've wound so deep in the desert that we're in the polar regions that the guild won't let you look at from space. Um, so we're, we're quite deep into it now. And we're going to mix it up a little bit here because so far... As far as guests go, uh, we've had people who have read Dune before, often multiple times, people who have some kind of existing relationship to Dune. Today, we're joined by one of our favorite guests and also a patron of the show. Uh, thank you for that as well. And she <laughs> did had not read Dune prior to this, so we wanted to try an experiment where we talked to someone who's reading Dune for the first time and get their uh, <clears throat> insights. So... We're going to welcome back Olivia at AV Club, uh, also a contributor to No Cartridge, among many other things. Olivia, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I I would uh, be curious as to what I am in terms of the Lord of the Rings reference. What am I to your Faramir? Oh, man. Uh, to Faramir? Um, I feel like you are so much better and exist on a different plane than us. You're like Galadriel or something. <laughs> That's spooky. I like that. That's fine. <laughs> Um, well, thanks for joining us once again, and uh, thank you also. I want to say thank you more than anything else for reading all, like, 900 pages of Dune at our best. <laughs> yeah, I got to say, that's that's a big ass cotter. It's like we, we, we go to someone and say, okay, you've never read this before. Let me, let's drop this loaf of bread of a book on your desk, and we'll get back to you in a few weeks. Like, I, honestly, I'm, I'm thrilled you did it. Well, I've always thought that I would read Dune. It's like one of those books that you're like, well, I'll read it, but you know that you're never going to make the time to read it. So I was happy to jump on the chance for someone else to count on me to read it. <laughs> Fair enough. You know, I have I, I have a question that I was going to try and avoid because it's the sort of thing I normally think is stupid, but it keeps coming up. So I just kind of want to talk to you about it. Um, I have talked to at least six people during Dune Month that tell me that Dune is a boy's book. Hmm. And, like, all of that stuff is nonsense, but, like, I'd like to ask you about the nonsense. Have you have you had that gender wall thing come up with this book? Is that one of the reasons you didn't get to it is because, like, the it, it, it was off in Guyland? Like, what's going on here? No, I don't think that it's because it was Guyland. I think it's because I knew it was just like it always been like this mass market sci-fi paperback that was just a, a monolith. 
<laughs> like I just like I never really gotten around to it. But considering it a boys book, I think uh, does a disservice to men and women because I think that what they're saying is that the um, most of the characters that really have any depth to them, at least in this first book, are the men, whereas like the women are one dimensional. And saying it's a boys book means that you think that that's like a like that that's what men want to read is uh, just one-dimensional views of women and, and I don't think that's true I think that men would rather read better books you know like that have characters that are complicated and have depth to them and so I'm I'm sorry that I'm sorry that people feel that way I think that men like to read about complicated women too because that's the that's how the world actually is you see this is why we keep having you back I ask you a like a supremely dumb question and you come back with a good take thank you very much <laughs> I'm um, happy to fill my role as woman on this episode. <laughs> well, <laughs> uh. well I, I'm really glad. Speaking of, I'm really glad that we finally got to the point in Dune Month where we can say conclusively that Dune is canceled. Yeah, that's what I came on here to say. I came here to say Dune is canceled. If you like it, you're canceled. Um, Kyle McLaughlin is canceled by association. It's really a, a whole thing. Yeah, so, David Lynch is canceled. We are super canceled <laughs> for doing a whole month on this book. Like, we are just canceled deep into the sands here. You're, so we you're can the go most home, right? canceled That's it? <laughs> for asking me to, for asking for the labor of me reading this canceled book. Oh, man. <laughs> Pete and I are going to be sent to the international, like, cancellation court for our crimes here. <laughs> So like I you know I mean we've got we've got some of that out of the way um, yeah and I loved I loved your take about whether this is a quote unquote boys book um, that's a great way of looking at it I think that it does do everyone a disservice to say that uh, and I think that like we're all there's what's interesting to me is there's a broad agreement among us among our guests among our listeners among pretty much everyone I've talked to there, there's no one that's going to stand up and say yeah Frank Herbert did a good job with female characters like I don't know how you <laughs> begin to make that argument like. Um, in the first book, like St. Alia of the Knife is like an okay female character, but she's also like a crazy uh, infant and like that doesn't, she's, she's barely human. Uh, (laughs) so, you know, yeah, I think we're all. And yet is somehow more believable than the other female characters. Oh yeah. Well, she's, she was my favorite. She was so, she was probably the only character in the book that had a unique voice to me. Like there were so many times that dialogue would be going back and forth. And it, it was truly just to tell you the story, and it wasn't, like, characters saying, telling you the story. It was just Frank Herbert, like, putting the story in quotation marks. Um, and they would just be saying plot points to each other. But, like, she actually had this voice, and, like, if she was talking, you knew who was talking. Yeah, I think you you hit on it. Like, it's, it's, not, it's not just that Herbert did the italics, like, character. Like, we're going to zoom with our omniscient uh, narrator into the head of a character and an italics, they're going to tell you exactly their motivation. It's the same, like, motivation and set of plot points that they told you in their dialogue, like, literally <laughs> half a page before. Which is just, like, it, it, man, if this book had been edited differently, I, I would have, I would have loved to see an edition of Dune that went through a good editor the first time around. That would be a, but, I mean, you know, it'd be a different experience, but. What I love is the stating the obvious stuff. Like, you know, Jessica walks into a room and sees her son is alive and goes, my son lives like three times. It's like, <laughs> yes, we all know. <laughs> and then she's also using italics to like think about her son living. Like I can, I can sense that he's living right now. <laughs> it's, it's a really funny book in that way. I mean, like, you know, how. 
So I, I actually don't know that much about your um, sci-fi and fantasy reading. I know that you've done a, a good amount. Like, how do you sort of contextualize this for yourself, Olivia? Like, do you just see this as like, you know, this is an example of incredibly archaic sci-fi? Like, kind of how do you fit it into your personal uh, canon or, you know, non-canon or whatever? I don't know. Like, I I like the world a lot, and I felt like... I was trying to peek around the text to look at the world that was very interesting to me and try to uh, ignore the text and try to see the world. Like it felt like he was hiding the good parts of the story from me. That's interesting. very interesting. And I think that that's a great way of getting at something that I think a lot of us have sort of hinted at or touched on is that like the, the reason that one reason that this is endured. And I think Lynch probably deserves some credit for this is that the surface aesthetics and the way that he's melded these different aesthetic and intellectual and spiritual traditions in his world building is still very beguiling and seductive and in, just interesting. Uh, even you know, 50, 50 some years later, um, probably like the the sort of the the fuel you have to imagine the sandworms and the still suits and the Atreides crest and all that stuff is probably I don't know. What do you make of the claim that that might be the thing that is like most anchors people? In Dune, I, I think you already kind of said that it was, but like, is that, you know, did that stand out to you even relative to other good science fiction and fantasy you've read? Yeah, like I, I definitely want to see more of the world. And even though I didn't necessarily think that the writing of this was great, like it was enough to be like, oh, man, I'm going to I'm going to finish reading this series. Like I, I have to <laughs> I want to see more of this world. And I feel like in the last couple of chapters, like they were finally getting to that place that they were showing me the story that I actually wanted to be reading and like, no, um, more of that. I don't know the, the greater world building and, and Dune. So Olivia, you are, uh, you are one of the hosts of America's leading games, criticism podcast. <laughs> and, <correct>. uh, <laughs> So um, have one of the things that's interesting about Dune for me is how many games it's launched, board games, card games. I can think of at least two or maybe even three uh, branded video games that came off of it. Have you ever have you ever touched any of that stuff? No. And we were actually we were talking about this, like whenever I first finished it, we had recorded like a No Cartridge After Dark or something. And I was just saying, like, you know, like I Trevor was asking me, like, what do you think, what book would you want to see turned into a video game? And I was thinking, like, most of the books that I love, love being books and couldn't be anything else. And I don't feel like Dune loves being a book. I feel like it could have been something else. I feel like it could have, the story could have been told to you in a different way. It doesn't love being prose. It could have been a video game or a comic book or something else. Wow. Yet again, that's a that take. Is a great, that's, that is a take. And it's honestly yeah. like that and sort of peeking around the world are both uh, really great ways. I, th- I think what you're doing for me, at least, is helping us decipher this kind of mystery about Dune, which is there, there's a lot of mysteries in and around Dune. One of the main mysteries that Pete and I touched on in a different episode that's coming up is how did someone like Herbert, who based on his non-Dune work was just categorically not a good writer uh come up oh. with this enduring story uh, <laughs> i feel so bad about it but his so many of his other books are just garbage yeah and like that, i believe that, it yeah i mean <laughs> it, it's easy to believe based on dune and it's 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 interesting to see how strongly it's confirmed but like there are many mysteries also like the, the text itself like 
it, it, the, the, perhaps the most literal, the most literal tangible mystery is just this, this is exactly that. Like, how did this happen? And I think to say, to think, to treat it as like a, uh, a fan- phenomenal story and world that does not even really want to be a novel. And is therefore probably pretty ahead of its time because like, um, God knows, maybe, maybe Herbert would have been doing, I don't know, HBO miniseries if he lived at the right time. Um, <laughs> Yeah, like at that time, there weren't many choices. It's like if you wanted to tell a story, you're going to write a book. Whereas like whenever you have like all these like connections online and whatever, you see that there's other ways of storytelling that I think that um, that people didn't necessarily think, you know, like I don't think he wanted to be like writing a comic book. But maybe if he had uh, seen some comics online, he would have been like, oh, yeah, that's a that's a better way to tell my story. <laughs> Can you guys imagine like extremely online indie game developer Frank Herbert? You know, yes. I was just thinking, if we're talking about venue, like I vote for MMO, like the Dune MMO is something I want to play. Mm. Mm, Olivia's, Olivia's incredulous. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I was interested in that reaction. What would you prefer? Um, I don't know, like a first person narrative story, just like a walking simulator or I don't I don't know. I would yeah. have to think about that part of it more. But I think MMOs are – there's a reason that there hasn't really been another popular one after like WoW or Final Fantasy. Like it requires so much of the of the world to have been cared for where I feel like a lot of pieces of this world aren't cared for. Like they show you bits of culture, but mostly it's just like people talking the plot points at each other and it's not really <laughs> believable. Like they're not – they never really have fun. They never have games. The, the way that they treat language in the story is not – not great, um, um, not believable. <laughs> and I feel like that's something that science fiction and fantasy has improved on a lot since this time is um, is that you have to care about language and foreign languages and um, not necessarily always conlangs, but um, there's, there's a way to treat languages believably. I d- Guys, I'm sorry. I just have this picture in the corner of Gurney Halleck standing there with a glowing <laughs> exclamation point above his head. And he's he's lost six of his Balisset strings and you've got to go out and kill sand vipers until you collect enough. I mean, it's perfect. That's the game you want to play? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to well, say, you say no one has fun. That's a Gurney Halleck erasure. I, I'm not going to stand for this. <laughs> well, I guess, I guess what I'm saying is... Um, to get a little more serious with it, MMOs are really good, uh, paradoxically, at creating uh, inevitability. So on some level, the bad MMOs make you go, it almost doesn't matter what I do. The world will still go in this direction. Mm-hmm. And that's very Dune. Like, Dune has sweeping forces that everything is beyond your control. You can only control what's directly in front of you. And that's that's what would make an MMO appealing to me, is you could create that mood. I think I want a Stardew Valley Dune. I want you to have to... Um, <laughs> rejuvenate the earth and or not the earth whatever planet they're on uh, rejuvenate the planet and um and grow crops i think that that would be interesting i think that um a game that's basically like a clicker game but like figuring out how to slowly repair this planet well i think that's very 
I think that's very uh, true to form because, like, it's clear just even from this novel itself that Herbert cared a lot more about ecology and engineering um, natural environments than he cared about combat. For instance, he really does not want to write combat, which is yeah. a strange choice for us. What is what is it? One level a space opera, but I think that I think that Liv kind of nailed it there because it's like um, the obvious the obvious game mechanics that that most developers want to focus on would be the knife fighting. But in reality, like, this is much more of a farming game if you make it into a... I mean, that's that's great, actually. I think that's a great point. I would play the Stardew Valley Dune. Like, that, that would be amazing. It's like you get all these desert scapes and you slowly build up trees over time. Um, and then I, I had a thought year two, that. a sandworm swallows your farm. Let's <laughs> <laughs> just start over. I, I had a thought, which is... Um, if, if we're talking about wooden dialogue and characters just intoning plot points, what Dune needs to be is a Bethesda open world game. <laughs> <laughs> There's just like a guard saying the same thing to you every time as you pass by, but it's just Jessica saying, my son. <laughs> right. The guard is just over and over again saying, I've heard there's a Muad'Dib. What could it mean? Like over and over. <laughs> oh, God. There's truly not much difference between Wadib and the Dragonborn. That, no, that really is isn't. the same game. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like it's it's the perfect. Uh, it actually works out quite nicely. So I I want to ask you, um, what just at at, a, at an almost more basic level, like what were some of your favorite parts of this novel, favorite elements or parts of the story, and what were some of your least favorite? Huh. Um. My favorite parts were when they would like actually talk about any kind of side character. Like I think my favorite chapter in the in the whole book was like the one where the ecologist is just like walking through the desert, like thinking about like what his dad had taught him and like the inevitability of everything. And then it's like we see that little piece of like something that's actually kind of written well and it feels like he thought about versus like these linking chapters that just like get you to the next step. Um, I liked that and I liked anything that that talked about the the ecology and like the animals um i don't know like whenever you actually got to see the world and it wasn't hiding from itself um the, my least favorite parts were gosh i don't i don't know where to start i <laughs> uh, the i don't know the story is like so basic and besides like the actual like world but like the Mwadib the the chosen one part is not that exciting but i think like i guess the the female characters are just so one dimensional that like you've like i found myself like audibly laughing like it was it was a funny book um whenever she would be like thinking something and like it was always like she was thinking about how smart her son was and um she was like i i have the ability to like sense these thoughts but oh man my son is like sensing so many more thoughts than me like he's really got it and it's like Oh, he has to do more than use the voice here. He has to use logic. And it's like, well, he's a man. So he, of course, he knows how to use logic, too. So it's like a funny book. So maybe that's a good part of the book. It's funny. (laughs) I mean, I just, you're totally right. Like, Jessica, like, about roughly two thirds of her thoughts or more are like how great her two men are. Her son and her husband is like, they're just the greatest guys ever. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) It's true. I mean, oh, yeah, yeah. And, and you don't really realize it until someone and until someone points it out, but it's actually like it's even worse than you think because like there's so many surface problems with who Jessica is, 
But, like, just every aspect of the characterization is, like, a profound missed opportunity. Um, you know, I can't read this book ever again. Like, I just, like, <laughs> this discussion. It's like, you know, when when, uh, when somebody tells you that, uh, oh, gosh, Emily Dickinson's poems sound like meter to the Yellow Rose of Texas, and it just ruins her? Well, thanks. <laughs> thanks. I didn't know that, Pete. <laughs> Okay, well, you're welcome. But uh, my my point is, like, if I go through here, like, the Jessica moments are just going to drive me insane now. <laughs> They're not good. I I thought of her, like, because I, I haven't seen the movie. I've seen, like, I think, like, the first 10 to 15 minutes of the movie. Like, I know I started it, but I don't remember finishing it. I think I just saw the first little bit. So I don't really know what any of the characters look like except for Kyle MacLachlan. Um so I I thought of Jessica as like the empath from Next Generation. Like that's what she looked like to me. Um, oh, the Betazoid, sure. Yeah. What's her name? Counselor Troy. Yeah, that's that's what Jessica was to me, and I think that that works works well for um, her voice. <laughs> Man, I haven't seen Star Trek Next Generation, so I'm like out in the cold on this one. But I I. <laughs> I believe that you're that you're right about this, uh, regardless, because you've been right about everything else so far. So <laughs> yeah, the, the odds are good. Uh, I I do think that this book benefited from being marketed and widely read before young adult was a popular um, genre, like as as like a separate thing. Because I feel like this is a young adult book, and I feel like a, many adult men would not pick up a young adult book, and that's really what Dune is. That also sounds very correct and true. Yeah, I mean, I think yeah. you heard we had Jacob Bacharach on. He said, like, yeah, Dune was essentially, when I picked it up, like, it was sort of a boy's own adventure story. And it absolutely is. Like, it's perfect yeah. for, I mean, the ideal audience for this, like you said, is 13-year-old boys. Um, that's when I read it. And I think Pete read it. Uh, what, what age were you to read this, Pete? Uh, so seven to nine, I think. Okay, so you were even younger, but uh, you were precocious, though. You were sort of the Saint Alia of reading <laughs> sci-fi books from the library. So, and, and my uncle was in my head, slowly driving me mad. Yes. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, all of that. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it. Yeah, I mean, I think if you class it as a YA novel, especially as an archaic YA novel, like you start to forgive, forgive some of the sins. I think that it is like. Uh, why why this one of all the sci-fi books to become the, the best-selling, most widely read ever? I'm not sure that there's a good answer to that. Um, really, like I live like what uh, what other books that you've read, whether YA or not? Like what other books did leapt to mind when you were reading this? Oh, uh, I don't know. I don't really know that I've that I tend to read anything like this. Um. <laughs> I don't know. Um, are you saying that your uh, your sort of world of like Warcraft fan fiction? novels are that much? I don't know. Fiction? <laughs> yeah, I mean that sounds I, okay. Like fan fiction for what? If I can press you on that, just like the way that it's written. I don't know. I I never really read too much fan fiction in middle school. It was like I would read Harry Potter fan fiction. Um, but just like the the writing style. Like I I haven't read anything in so long where it's just like. The dialogue is telling you the story and people aren't talking to each other like they're people. I don't know. Yeah. So, it would have to be something from like elementary school, I guess. What yeah. What do you read normally? 
I mean, I, 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 I don't know a lot about your le- reading habits, uh, honestly, except for like a few slips throughout uh, No Cartridge After Dark. Um, I read a little, little bit of everything, mostly like literary fiction and comics and uh, nonfiction. That's usually mostly what I read. I don't know. I guess this reminded me more of a comic because it was like it was just trying to like show you images at a time um, rather than like caring about growing the language or whatever. So like I felt like it felt like reading a comic or it felt like it kind of felt like watching a a TV show where you could like read a couple chapters and just put it down and like you weren't going to miss anything whenever you picked it back up. Like there wasn't an emotional arc between chapters. Like you were just like reading little episodes. Interesting. So you, you keep mentioning language and I know that, uh, not to dox you, but I know that you studied linguistics in part. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah. And you're a language person broadly. Uh, when you say that Dune didn't treat language in a realistic or interesting way, uh, I honestly have no idea what that means and I'm intrigued. So what do you mean by that? Well, I honestly couldn't get a good grasp of what, and I don't know if this is like told in later books, but is this supposed to be like a post-apocalyptic Earth story? Like, is this Earth? I don't think Arrakis is Earth, is it, Pete? No, no, I don't think so. I think okay. they, they're they just at a, a, a great distance from Earth. Yeah. Like they, they, they wouldn't be able to locate it if they wanted to kind of thing. Well, I, I truly don't understand. Like, and I don't understand, like, how far away it is supposed to be from present times. But, like, they use language like how we would use language in, in the United States. And when was this written? The 60s? 1960s? Um, like, whenever they were ordering a fancy meal, it was like they spoke in French. And it was like... <laughs> modern French and it it was like it hadn't gone through any linguistic changes because language doesn't stay the same over time if you read something from hundreds of years ago no matter what country it is there's going to be some differences and that's because we written communication changes as verbal communication changes and so you're going to see changes in how things are written based off of like new slang new words any kind of new technology or just um just sometimes the way that words sound changes. Like, um, I don't know, any example for this? Um, like an apron and uh, hundreds of years ago in English was napron. But we say, like whenever we said a napron so many times, people started saying an apron. And like, you just like see changes ah. like that. So you would never see a language stay trapped or stay the same over however many years it is from modern day to the dune world days and like just using french as like a way to signify that something is like fancy just felt like very immature and i don't know yeah i i told i i I think that's i buy that i what i'm curious about is like there are writers that um i know that pete and i respect a lot more as writers like le guin similarly is imagining um Earth humans thousands of years into the future and, and very far away from Earth. Uh, and I don't know that she, like, do you feel like someone like, like, when I don't know how much like when you've read, but like, are, are, do you see, do you think that, that many sci-fi writers are doing a better job at least imagining some of the changes that might have happened while still using English dialogue? Because like, I would, I, I'm, I'm curious here, like, is Herbert that much worse than average? Uh, 
I don't know, because I, I would assume that this was about average. I think that probably most people just don't even think about it whenever they're writing something, but it's something that sticks out to me. Or like whenever something is, it looks to be translated into um, like an English script and it's just like overly complicated with a lot of like apostrophes and like it looks unpronounceable. Like that doesn't make any sense because you're telling me <laughs> that they write in the same script that we do. And that doesn't make any sense. So like oh, either you, you have a romanization or you don't. You're going to have uh, a heck of a time coming on here during Lovecraft month to cancel his language. <laughs> oh, I my am, God. I'm so happy to come on here to cancel Lovecraft. <laughs> I will be the first one to do it. I have I have news for everyone. <laughs> yeah. He generates some feeling. There's no question. The first the first show to cancel Howard Phillips Lovecraft ever. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to sit here and like I'm going to read the part in. um in Call of Cthulhu where uh, they go into Louisiana Swamp. I'm going to read that whole passage to live while she just fumes at me. <laughs> I want you to read it in a heavy Cajun accent. That would oh, be yeah, I'll do my best, uh, ideal. My best James Lee Burke accent. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Liv, since you were on here last time, I believe I missed recommending a book while we were on together live last time. I had to mm-hmm. follow up later. Yeah, well, you didn't. You didn't look to follow up. I looked to follow up. I was. I tracked you down for a recommendation. That that's <laughs> a fair assessment. Well, I've spent the intervening time thinking about my recommendation for for this visit. Um, there is a writer called M. A. R. Barker. Uh, mm-hmm. He wrote. Well, the the book I'm thinking of is called Flame Song. He is often called the Forgotten Tolkien. And what he was was a um, uh, he was a uh, a linguistics teacher at the University of Minnesota, and his big focus was trying to design languages for role playing games and books that like made sense from a historical perspective. That's very interesting to me. I would love that, and I've truly never even read Tolkien, which is which is bananas to me Whoa. because it seems like. Um, like whenever I first got the books, I was a kid and just liked the movies. But like now I know that one of the things that people don't like about them is that they're so linguistics heavy and it's kind of like just this vehicle for all of his thoughts on conlanging and. Well, and, and you've missed about 500 pages of leaf description while walking in the forest too. I mean, that I, I couldn't live without that. <laughs> well, that is what I live for. So I, ha- I've missed out greatly. I'm I'm struggling to process the fact that you have not read Tolkien as the linguistics sci-fi fantasy person. This is this is bowling me over, Liv. Yeah, I'll I'm gonna get around to it. I have the books at my parents' house, so maybe next time. I've read The Hobbit, but I haven't read the the main trilogy. But I think that I could I think I could go in deep on them. Uh man, I I I'm not promising anything, but it's beginning to sound a lot like Tolkien month around here. <laughs> Uh, it, that could happen. I think we've talked, like, to, to give everything away to our listeners, we've talked about adding, uh, incorporating more fantasy, partly so that we don't have to have a conversation on here every time. Like, is this really science fiction? Uh, <laughs> um, you know, like, Blah. yeah, exactly. But, and that's, um, yeah, that's one of the downfalls of considering anything as a genre. And, and even considering Dune as, like, genre fiction, like, it doesn't matter what, you know, genre is not real. That's true. Although, if ever there is a book that makes you feel like what people mean by, by genre fiction, it's Dune. <laughs> like, yeah, 
because uh, this this has all the hallmarks of why people don't like genre fiction. Also, many of why they do. I mean, I think it's a great study in that in that land of contrasts. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I uh, boy, Lib, you've given us a lot to think about. Like, are there other 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 thoughts about Dune that you want to get out there for our listenership, which is <clears throat> well into the hundreds? Yes. <laughs> I will say that this probably had the most mind-blowing last page of any book I've read, just because it was so, um, so bizarre. the The last page about like, well, we're not going to be concubines anymore. Like, we might be remember, you know, like that was history just will remember the, us as wives. As wives. Yes, <laughs> truly, the most mind-blowing last words of any novel. <laughs> and you just know Herbert. Uh, God rest his soul was sitting there being like, this is this is it. This is my master stroke for the ladies. This is just for the ladies. <laughs> this, it was truly like that. Um, that gif of what's his name? Antonio Banderas, like at the at the typewriter, like leaning back in his chair, like so proud of himself. Like, <laughs> that's exactly what it felt like reading this. Oh, oh. man. And, oh, God. Herbert, you dork. Uh, <laughs> just so, oh, it's just so amazing to think about. Oh, man. I mean. This this book has brought so much joy in my life, and it is it's unique on so many levels. It it delivers on so much, but like there's so many points where I'm like, oh Jesus, seriously, what are you doing, man? And I I know that I've had a lot to say and a lot of critiques, but I did happily read 800 pages of this, and it didn't take me too long. Like I did enjoy reading it despite everything about it. We thank you for doing it. And also thank you for being a pioneer of the Dune month hashtag. Uh, (laughs) Yes. I did what others would and could not. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. Uh, I think, I think that's probably a pretty good place to call it. What do you guys think? Yeah. I feel good. I feel good about Dune. All right. Uh, We feel good about it. And, uh, projects to plug? Anything you want to talk about? As long as you're you're on the air to a, a slightly different audience. Oh yeah, subscribe to No Cartridge. Uh, if you're in New York City, go to the No Cartridge live show coming up. Um, I I don't know. I think it's September. I won't be there. Um, it's coming up soon. So I'll go ahead and like um look to get tickets soon. But it should be fun. Um, yeah. So I agree with everything. I agree with everything Liv just said. Like definitely, if you like our show and you like games at all. Even if you don't like games, you will probably like No Cartridge. You should check it out. You should subscribe. And I don't have the date for the live show off the top of my head either. But um, if you're in the New York area or can get to the New York area, I was at the last two No Cartridge live shows. I've been to the, both of the previous ones. And I'm very sad I'm going to miss this one because both of the previous two were a blast. And it's at a great venue called Caveat in, in uh, East Village in New York City. And it's going to be really fun. So buy a ticket and go to that Um and listen to Liv and Trev on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was perfect. Thank you for uh, <laughs> thank you for doing that better than I could have. <laughs> Honestly, Liv, you did, you had so many good takes today that like I I would feel I, I feel duty bound to get some more listeners over to your podcast because um, that was really great. Thank you so much for all of the insights. Well, thank you, and thank you so much for having me on. Okay, well, we're going to have you back Anytime. on uh, one way or another, whether it's Tolkien Month or, or just to cancel Lovecraft. Or Token um, Month. <laughs> or Token, oh, God. Oh, man. That was, just, that was a gom jabar to my artery right there. Oh, I'm dead. Man, I deserve that. Okay, well, thank you so much, Olivia. And thank you to all of our listeners. <laughs>